Hello, everyone. I'm Dana Stewart Bullock, and this is Transformational Therapeutics. In today's podcast, I will be joined by Rebecca Doring and Joe Carano in a wide ranging conversation about this model. We decided to do an overall review of transformational therapeutics to remind the audience of the model's origins, its underlying philosophy, and how it can be used in real world situations. So, welcome to our conversation. Today, we are doing something a little bit different. Today, we have three of us, and we are going to do a little roundtable discussion on transformational therapeutics, what it is, how it can be applied, and we're not quite sure exactly where we're going to take it, but it's going to be so good, and I'm excited that you're here. So, Dana, would you start us off by just reintroducing transformational therapeutics? That way, if there's any new listeners, if you're coming into this episode from day one, this just to kind of brush us up on what this model really is. So transformational therapeutics is something that I've created, and I call it a philosophy. And the word philosophy means love of wisdom. It was created over my history and my experience as a manual therapist. My background is in physical therapy and healing and that sort of thing. It came out of the work that I was doing with patients and with animals, particularly horses. And what was marked for me was that the communication was actually a form of language. And so I expanded that so that for me, language is any form of communication. And it's a healing philosophy because it opens up other ways of seeing through seeing language differently that allow us to then go down other paths when we are interested in healing our bodies, our psyches, our physical forms, our minds, our spirit. It can really be applied across the board. And so within transformational therapeutics, I see everything as language, including symbolic language, spoken language, dream language, body language, the language of animals, the language of plants. It's been shown that plants do communicate with each other chemically, but that's a language. And then also the language inherent within our own bodies and the communication systems inherent in our own physiology. And so I've sort of combined all of that under the rubric of language and applied it functionally in the world. It's fantastic. So to me, it sounds like this model can be applied to anyone, but it's especially for those who are curious and are hungry for more within their own bodies. Would you say well, that's true? I would say yes. And I, I would also, I was thinking about this earlier today because I've treated, you know, thousands of people over the years. And the important thing is that you want to hear you want to change. You want to take on board a new way of seeing. Mm -hmm. This whole paradigm is about perception and changing your perception. And the way that I got there was understanding the anatomy and the physiology of the brain, that the perceptual centers are tightly associated with the emotional centers in our brain. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we don't realize that by changing how we see something, we can change our emotional attachment to it or the physiology, the emotional physiology that rises when we're confronted with something that has a charge to it. So that's how I got there. It sounds to me like you know that there's more available within your body and you're curious to learn more 
outside of just a doctor telling you what is in your body? Well, I think even the way that I see it even more than that is that not necessarily that you want to learn more, that although that's actually very valid, but that you want to empower yourself to know more. Mm. And the more you know, the more power you have. Again, I did a whole podcast on power and power to me means to be able and so this developed out of my own confrontation with my own physiology and my own body and my own psyche and wanting to know more and understand more. And I came up in the medical model, which for me personally didn't do a whole lot. And so I looked into other areas and other ways of healing. I feel like I can relate to that a little bit in that experiencing Western medicine and not having a whole lot of results and then turning towards other things, looking for other things to find answers to statements that doctors told me that I just didn't want to believe and didn't really believe. And I feel like there's probably a lot of listeners who can relate to that as well. Sorry, added anything yet? So this is Joe Carano. Have you run into any resistance like with Western medicine or anything like that? Anybody saying nay, you know, to what you wanted to try to promote is well, anybody I've, I've sort of sorry to interrupt you i've always sort of been on the outside i've always sort of been outside the box i've lived sort of outside the mainstream even when i was inside mainstream medicine i kind of snuck around in the corners but the resistance i have run into repeatedly is from the actual patients that i've treated and oftentimes they don't realize they're resisting because it's literally some sort of tension in their body or they're not participating with me. And over time, as a practitioner, it can get really exhausting. Mm. So that would be primarily where I found resistance. When I worked in the hospital, I worked at New York Hospital for a number of years early on in my career. The best people to treat were doctors because I was really good at treating. And so they were in pain. And then you sort of have a captive audience and then, mm -hmm. then you can change minds. But other than that, you don't get a lot of support from mainstream medicine. And from what I understand, I've been out of it for a long time. I had my own practice, so I wasn't really connected to the medical model that much. From what I understand is that it's changed vastly since, you know, I've been at this 40 some odd years. You think it's gotten even more extreme? Well, I think there's less critical thinking in medicine right now. There's much less science, there's much less research. It's been sort of taken over by pharmaceutical companies and that sort of thing. So yeah. it's different. Yeah. So there's room for your model in this this yes, whole thing. I hope so. It's, it, and for me also, from a personal level, I have a background that involved a lot of chaotic craziness as a child. And in some ways, the language piece gave me a container, a central organizing principle from which I could then function. It gave me an anchor. And that's what this came from. Order from chaos. Yes. And because we all have language, the principles of it apply across the board. And I feel like everyone has some area of their life where there is some chaos that they are craving a central organizing principle and that this model could be applied. Really, just like you mentioned, it, it can go towards helping you with your physical body, your emotional psyche, whatever it may be. Another piece to it is the whole relationship piece. And I think particularly in this day and age, it's important that if you can see communication as language and language as communication on the planet right now, everybody is at each other's throats and they get distracted into the actual words and not into the substance. For me, it's really important to understand the meaning of the words you are using 
and having the person or people that you're interacting with have the same definition for the words that you're using. And that in and of itself, just by defining it to each other, gives one a common ground on which to interact. Mm -hmm. People don't understand that language is learned very early on. And language actually has an influence in shaping how our brain develops. But we can go into that another time. Language is learned early on, and it's learned in an emotional environment from caregivers. And the meaning of the words that you are taught are influenced by the caregiver's meaning of the words. I have a certain historical understanding of what a word means that may be very different from Joe Blow down the street because he had a different upbringing. And so when I start interacting with Joe Blow down the street, we may be using the same words, but speaking very differently. And I think that's where a lot of misunderstanding comes from. Absolutely. That's a perspective that is so empowering to discover and that can really open up a lot of choices and opportunities and connections within any relationship. And the other piece that comes to mind is presence and being present in the language you are using. Most people are not. They don't look at what the language actually means before it comes out of their mouth. And there's a lot of hypocrisy. And when you look at particularly now the political situation, people are, A, they're using language that isn't true because it's not describing fact, which I find fascinating. And they're using language because of the social media and other ways that the internet influences us. They're using language that has absolutely no basis in reality. And that can have a real influence on all of us. Mm. And so I'm trying with this model. I mean, it's a healing model, but it's also a model of truth and reality. Owning the words you say and the meaning of them to me is really, really important. I love that so much because I've been playing around a lot with seeing how so many of our limiting beliefs or so many of our just habits that we don't stop and question are really just lies covering the truth. And so this model is so you're spot on. It is such an amazing tool to get to the truth, to get to what's really underneath, to not just stay on that superficial level that's keeping you separate, keeping you disconnected, keeping you in pain, whatever your struggle may be. But it is a pathway to go one layer deeper where you can find the truth and be empowered and freed by that truth. People are talking about change your story, that kind of thing. And those stories are really important. And not only scientifically is it shown that the stories that we have create a reality, but it's also not so easy to just change your story because of the physiology that goes along with the story. Understanding the physiology that underlies what we do and how we see the world is to me an important thing. Mm. And we've covered it on a number of podcasts. A, we all have bodies. I see our bodies as vehicles that we live in, and it's also how we interact in the world. And so many people have so many symptoms and diseases and whatever. And I see bodies as, yes, my body is my vehicle. It's where I live. I mean, I literally live in my body. And so living in that structure, I should understand it so it can work for me. Mm-hmm. That's basically how I see it. I move through the world inside of this body. I interact in the world through my five senses, which are part of this body. So the more I can understand that, the more I can become responsible for what's happening in my body, the more power I actually have. 100%. And it's also interesting to me that so much of quote unquote disease is accepted as the norm. Mm. 
being in this profession for all these years, I just don't buy that. I just don't buy that at all. I've seen too many things happen, too many changes happen, too much potential arise by changing perception and changing belief systems. And why shouldn't we all have ease? And we may not. I mean, that may be part of the human condition, but why not aim for it and and not settle? And also, like, what you're describing to me is what I see why we are here. We're, we're here, we're designed to thrive. A tree wasn't destined to just shrivel up and wilt. It was destined to thrive. A flower was destined to become its you know, most realized version of itself to bloom and blossom. And I believe that that, that is us too. And challenges are part of that growth. But by settling, we stop growing. By accepting something as just, oh, this is this is how it is because of my age or because of my background or because of my history or because of whatever, and I'm just going to accept it because I don't think that there's anything else possible for me. To me, that's just a stop. It's preventing me from growing. And maybe if I keep growing, maybe, sure, I'll, I'll still face challenges, but those challenges will be bringing me to a new sense of ease, a new experience that I don't have just yet. And I think when you say, I think it has to be this way, I think it's, I think it's more like, I believe mm. in our culture, particularly, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but I can remember years ago. So I am almost 70 years old. And so when I was late forties, early fifties and menopause came and I, you know, all the changes that come with that, it was really fascinating watching my body. And it was almost like the energy or the force of the culture, because you no longer of childbearing age, you sort of start slumping. It's, I mean, it, physiologically, you start slumping and you get this hump on the back of your neck and it's like, what is going on here? And I remember it was almost like coming up against a thought form from the culture that to stand upright was a lot of work. And I once had a patient come in and she was in that stage of life working with her and she just couldn't believe that a belief could do that. But in our culture, we don't revere the elderly. We don't take care of them. It's not like Oriental cultures where there's ancestor worship. We're sort of bereft of all of that. We're such a youth-oriented culture. I mean, I know it for myself. It manifests in those postural changes. It's like coming up against that belief. It's almost like there's a, a blanket that comes down on you from above and makes you slump and be less productive and be less creative. And that's a cultural belief. That doesn't happen worldwide. Right. In one of the episodes of this podcast, you were talking about multiple personality disorders. And you were describing how in different personalities, which I guess you could say would be different belief systems that each personality represented, their posture would change. Their One had diabetes and the other one didn't. And but insulin-dependent diabetes, not just diabetes. And so that to me, it just showed me the potential of what could be. Right. Even though it's pathological, but that you could create that. Why wouldn't you be able to create that for the good instead of for the sickness? Right. That to me is the psychology or the psyche influencing the physiology. Mm. When I look at things, I'm always looking for the potential. What can I learn from it? How can I grow from it? And that to me is vital and a foundational way of seeing and I see everything and everybody as a teacher. It's like, what can I learn from this? What can I learn from that? Even the pain and the agony and all of that, oh, I'm going through it. What can I learn from it? You know, I stub my toe. What can I learn from that? 
It may be pathological, <laughs> but it works for me. It keeps me going. In the personal development world, there's the phrase, the question of how is this happening for me to help you change your perspective on a challenge or an obstacle that is happening. Oh, that's so... <laughs> that's so this generation that's fascinating <laughs> is this happening for me yeah okay is that does that mean like for what do learn. i get from this i don't understand i think it's a learning thing how does it, why is this happening for me to learn from might be the rest oh, of the well it's the same thing as how did i stub my toe for a reason there's something here for me to learn so how is this happening for me as if the universe provided this experience for me to grow for me to learn something for me to get some information so i'm gonna get really picky on this one <laughs> You ready? For me, it's why. The why is, I'm not sure what it is, but why is very different from how. It's like, why did this happen to me at this time, in this place, et cetera, et cetera. That gives me, that opens up doors. Mm. That's fascinating. I never heard that. Well, it's it's a way when you get into that pity party mode and feeling like the, everything is happening to you. It's a useful tool, at least for myself and those that I talk to about it with that. It's a useful tool just just to see this. this so what's does happening it change at all if you change it to why is this happening to me? To me is still different than for me, because then that's still a, a victim place. That's still this is happening to me oh, that's rather than happening for me. But why is this happening for me? That that could be powerful, too. I feel like both things would direct it to different answers. Yeah, that's... I have to mulch on that one. That's fascinating for yeah. me. But it just goes back to the conversation you and I had years ago, not on a podcast, but something about if you understand the why, the how appears. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, is the differentiation. Why is so important to me. And I learned many years ago from an esoteric healing instructor, she talked about looking for the why behind the why behind the why until you get to the ultimate reason. Mm. And I've used that. I remember I was role-playing with this young kid. He was a teenager, and he was upset about he had to meet with somebody. It may have been his father, may have been a teacher, or somebody was picking on him or something. And I said to him, just keep asking why. Why are you calling me that? If they say, but why? And you just keep asking why. And, and the other person like shuts up immediately. Mm. So it's actually a tool of interaction that can be very useful when you ask someone why. That's brilliant. I love that. I, I use that as a journaling exercise with myself as well. I call it the never ending why. I describe how I feel about something, then ask why, and then describe, and then why, and then describe, and why. And I keep going until I unearth the truth. Until you get to the single organizing yeah. thing. Right, exactly. And you can do yeah. that in relationships. You can I just say, that. well, why do you think that? And then whatever they give you, I think that because, but why do you think that? And you just keep going back and back, and you get to the kernel that's so important. And that is, to me, the common pathway. That's like the truth, the ultimate truth. Yeah. I used to get thrown out of high school classes by asking why. Mm, so did Chris. It's like, why does this work this way? So did I. And you know what? I found out that it was because I, then I could get thrown out of class and I could roam around the school. And so I used to do it on purpose. First of all, I wanted the knowledge. I wanted to know why do nails get galvanized by zinc? Why? Why does it happen? Why is it? Teacher couldn't answer. So I, I just want to know. Get out. <laughs> Okay. It's funny, Joe, because I did the same thing yeah. under different circumstances. I got in trouble for asking why all the time. Yeah. I just found out that I could use it to my advantage afterwards. Yeah. I never did that. Yeah. I, I was real an angry kid. So I just kept, you know, challenging people with the why, but yeah. it was, 
Yeah. It, it, wasn't even, it wasn't even really a challenge. Well, it became that. Well, for me, because I was angry, it was a challenge. Yeah. It's the way I presented it. Yeah. That's interesting. My husband, Chris, he describes the same thing. He was like, he talks about it still. That he just wanted to understand how things worked. And yeah. he just like, he's the kind of person who just wants to know how things function. And then by asking that question, he, he likes to say like, okay, well, what about this? What would happen then? Like, tell me, let's explore this. Let's dig deeper. Let's, let's get to know it. Explore the logic. That's what, you know, that's basically how I like to learn. Yeah. You know? And I asked, it's a simple question. Why does that happen? But it's also really interesting that that same word, we did a couple of podcasts on archetypes and archetypal forces, and archetypes have two sides to them, sort of the shadow side and the side that you know. But why has the same thing? Because I can ask you why as a challenge to Mm. full stop, but I can also ask you why as a way to connect. Yeah. Because if I ask why and you come back with the answer, then we start up a reciprocal conversation and we're totally connected until we get to the essence of both of us really being on the same page, on the same playing field, being in the same space together. So again, it's how it is used that's the most important. To be polarizing. Yeah. I could keep you at bay by just keep asking you why. But at the same time, you could get to the ultimate why and then come back across the divide and join up. Mm -hmm. I just think why is such an important word. So odd, but I do. It's so true. It's such a, to me, it's like the door opening, which I guess also has an opportunity to close doors too with how you use it. But that's really interesting thought. Do you think there's a shadow to every word? And by shadow, I'm just going to say this. Shadow does not mean something negative. It means something that isn't seen. That's all. It's in the shadows. You don't Mm. see it. Mm. So in um, death psychology and archetypal writings, the shadow is the aspect of yourself or a thing or a being that you don't know. That's all it is. Mm. So it's equivalent to unconscious. I'm not conscious of that. I don't know it. Mm. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It means I don't see its existence. And being able to observe what's happening in your shadow side, in your unconscious, then brings it to consciousness. At least be aware of it. And that allows you to then work with it. Right. If you're not conscious of it, you can't work with it. I mean, I've sort of translated that in some ways, just in terms of bodies and pain, in terms of language. Because for me, pain is a language. And if I can interpret what a pain in a body part or organ or whatever is telling me, I can bring to consciousness what's underlying the pain. Pain is, by definition, an unpleasant emotional experience. So, again, it's a way to get into the psyche, into the emotions, by listening to the pain and looking at the symbolic language around where it is in your body, when it hurts, all that sort of stuff. And that's a real skill, but anybody can develop it. You just have to be able to observe it, well, feel it, observe it, And then start looking for sources where you can get a better understanding of it. And those sources can be just dictionaries of symbolism. They can be stories. They can be language itself. It's now an actual diagnosis. It's broken heart syndrome. And when you look at our terminology, you know, uh, have a civil tongue in your head. You know, you just it's in the language itself. In your opinion, what's the value of recognizing that there is a shadow side to things? Well, 90% of what we do is driven by our unconscious. So understanding what is driving us can be very helpful. Sure. Because if you don't understand it, you can't change it. In psychology, there's a term called repetition compulsion. 
And it means that you are compelled to repeat behaviors. You know, it's like women who say, I can never find the right guy. You know, they keep disappointing me or whatever. But if you look at yourself and ask what is compelling you to choose this particular person, what am I not seeing about myself? What force is driving me from my unconscious? Then it can change the outcome. So this model, in essence, is really a way to get to our shadow side. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> and to get to others' shadow sides. It's, it's really to get to the unknown. Yeah. Or to see differently. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's everything because, like you said, what is unknown is the thing that is driving us, especially driving us to the things that we don't want to be driven to anymore, that we're tired of, repeating the same patterns, having the same thought loops, feeling the same feelings we're tired of, being in those places that drive us to seek out podcasts or seek out teachers or seek out new Treatment. practices, treatments, right. doctors, whatever it may be. And the answers lie within our own shadow side right yes i believe so yeah. and, and i think it's really interesting because right now there's so much talk about going to mars and going to other planets and i think going inside is a much more interesting endeavor there's so much inside of us that we don't know anything about and so much information and empowerment mm-hmm. and people are so avoidant of going inside of their own selves Right. Some. Many people. Many are. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone. They'd rather throw their bodies out into the void. Instead of going into the void within, which is full of more expensive than it is out there. Yeah. But it's it's normal why we would naturally be adverse to turning within because it's scary turning towards the unknown. It's scary to what what kinds of demons am I going to unlock? Is it going to be a can of worms? Is it going to be Pandora's box? I'm getting through okay right now. It struggles. There's struggles. It sucks, but I can handle it. What if I tune in and then I can't handle it? You know, it's it's so normal why we fall into these patterns, but it also I think through having these conversations and the existence of transformational therapeutics and these this podcast is so valuable because it can help reassure us that it is very worthwhile to go inward and that we get so much more than we ever think is possible. And I think it's important also if you understand how using language, I mean our whole culture is really I mean, look at the amount of resources that go to the whole medical model. I mean, in this country, I don't remember the, the terminology, the GDP or whatever that goes to healthcare, but it's astronomical. I think the other thing that's important for people to understand, and this is a belief system that I have, although it's pretty well supported in the literature, is that the body has the ability to heal itself. Mm. Fundamental, fantastic ability to heal itself. I mean, we have these systems that are so regenerative. Every seven years, you don't have any of the same cells in your body. I mean, they're so regenerative. And to take advantage of that, to enter into this system, it's kind of exciting. And it doesn't mean you don't use the medical model also. I'm just really interested in function and whatever works. I'm not at all proud. It's like, whatever works, I'll take it and use it. And I'm interested in power. I'm interested in being empowered in the face of, you know, years of pain and whatever, whatever I've had, it's like, oh, how can I change this? Mm. It's interesting. I'll give you an example. I've had chronic Lyme for 10 years now and didn't know it, wasn't diagnosed. I ended up diagnosing it myself. But when you look up the symbolism, so this is a symbolic use of language. When I look up tick, it symbolizes imbalance in relationships. That to me just sends me in a whole nother direction. 
Absolutely. You know, so I start looking at my relationships. Where's the imbalance? That sort of thing. And that takes me on another route. Understanding that and moving forward with that. I mean, it's taken me a long time, but it's changed me fundamentally. It's so fascinating, too, to apply that to the culture. I mean, to our community, I suppose, as a whole, in that we have a lot of ticks in the Northeast, a lot of Lyme disease and a lot of fear of ticks and Lyme disease. So if you just take out the Lyme disease and replace imbalanced relationships. Well, if, if I say fear of, I'm going to flip it. So yes, imbalance in relationship. Mm -hmm. But if I flip it and say, what is my fear of having a balanced relationship? Mm -hmm. That that's like opens up all kinds of mm. Uh, doors. Right. And so I'm saying, look, like seeing it as a community that our community as a whole is how much imbalanced relationships are considered we're being afraid of or being afraid of balanced relationships. But also expanding it into what is our relationship with nature. Mm. I mean, that's really what we're being asked to look at because of the preponderance of ticks in this area. It's like, what have we done to nature? How do we know this isn't nature's way of like telling us, yo, it's time to look at this. And we tend to look at it from a smaller place. You know, I have a tick bite, I have a, a disease or whatever. And, but to expand, I think the thing that transformational therapeutics does is it gives you the opportunity to expand your vision of what it is you're looking at. It gives you new ways of seeing and gives you more choice. Absolutely. And I can say my relationship with nature is just fine and then go back to whatever definition. But if I don't know that that exists... It's like when you look up the meaning of a word, it goes back thousands of years and it changes somewhat over time. But these words have been in use for millennia. And so they have some sort of import to them that when you look it up, it gives you a solidity, a meaning that just flip conversation doesn't. Right. They have an anchorage in history, which to me is really important. Why? Because it's sort of that they've stood the test of time. I mean, we have spoken language. Our species has spoken language. And it originates from, again, thousands of years ago. And so to understand the original meaning, if you and I are in a conflict and we go back to the original meaning of whatever words we're using, we can then come to a different outcome because we'll be using the same language. Mm -hmm. Because you learned your language in a different environment from where I learned mine. Sure. And that's a huge cause for confusion. And it also gives meaning to me. It, I just love it. What else to say, but I love it. <laughs> I love it too. Well, it kind of goes back to the importance of storytelling too, to connect. Because this could mean one thing, that could mean another thing. But if the stories are still connected, it maintains the meaning for the words that were so old and from so long ago. That's why we have miscommunication now is because the story is not connecting the words from the ancient past to the present. Mm. And we don't have the stories. We really don't have them anymore. They're not, we don't have the storytellers. We don't have the wise people that would tell stories. We don't sit around a fire and tell stories anymore. We don't have the lineage of it coming down. And that's what's missing right now. Yeah, that's a lot of what is missing. And that's an that. anchor and a history that we're we're sort of flailing because we don't have those foundational cultural happenings. The connections. Yeah. i tell you a story. The other day, I figured out something that was really ancient in my history. And I had all of this angst. And the minute I figured it out and it made sense to me, the angst went away. 
I didn't have as much collapse in my body. I was able, I had more stamina. It was mind boggling to me. And you can use the body as a gauge because if you've hit on the right thing, then your body will change in a way that is positive. I mean, you figured that out just a day ago. Mm -hmm. You treated me for, for I had a, after running, I, my hip and my leg and my pelvis was all weird and I couldn't quite put a finger on exactly what was happening, but there was a lot of instability, a lot of like weird discomfort and everything. And, um, and because of that, because I couldn't put a finger on it, that was also, I think for me, I like to learn as well. And when I can grasp something, then that's anchoring to me. So even in the experience of it was very ungrounding, which we later understood why, but it felt very ungrounding. And then because of that, I started worrying about what it was. Maybe this means I can't run right now. Maybe this means I have to stop. Maybe this means I can't do the race that I want to do. You know, all those, all those things. And then in you figuring out what it was, it was immediately made so much sense and gave me so much clarity. And so when you say I figured out what it was, it was a dysfunction that I saw as mechanical in your pelvis and was able to treat out. It's no big thing about me. It's more about your body's ability to heal. You then felt more stable in your pelvis mm-hmm. and you were able to track it back to an actual fall and an injury and the mechanism of injury made sense and the rest of, is history. You were able to change that right then and there. And in changing it, you were able to then understand why it happened. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was really important for you. You lit up once you understood why it happened. Yeah, it, it just made so much sense. And actually, ever since this was, you know, 24 hours ago, every time I feel it, I am reassured because I think back to that experience of, of discovering what it was and applying all these things that I couldn't quite figure out over the last month and seeing that it all fits. But it, just to bring it even more into transformational therapeutics, it wasn't just purely physical. There was so much more. Whereas, you know, back in when I was younger, when I was very much only in my body is my body and my mind is my mind and they're two separate things, then uh, I would have just seen that as this is a mechanical issue or a physical issue or whatever. But looking at transformational therapeutics, we started digging into, okay, well, what was going on? What was, what was the injury? Like, why, why did that happen then? Why the right side? Why the pelvis? Why, 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 which brought me so much more clarity as well. And is continuing to help me. And it also continues to make sense, which I think is such a grounding thing, at least for me, I'm someone who loves to learn. So I get grounded by knowledge and information. But also, Rebecca, in terms of your own body to have it when it doesn't make sense, and mm. something happens, and it doesn't make sense, why is this happening? To then have sense made of it is such a relief. Very much so. And so empowering to you. I guess we'll tell the audience you hooked your foot on something and kept going forward. So that's not a simple fall. That's true. It was something I've only experienced once in my life. (laughs) Right. So it just means that not everything needs to be treated. However, what you had could be treated. That's all. Mm. And it can be treated quickly and efficiently. Yeah. And that's something that was limiting regular movement. And I was telling you yesterday that 
one of the things I find amazing is that people don't expect to have that kind of an outcome in that period of time. And I think they should. Yes. And I see that as the future, that the more knowledge we can share about how the body works, the more empowering that is for people. Because you got off my table, and this was how many weeks you'd had that? It started a month ago, but it was really painful for a week, but probably more like three. Okay, so a month to three weeks. Yeah. You got off the table and you were different. I Completely. Yeah. I could walk. I could walk around without, like, it was instant relief. You were so excited. You said, does this mean I can run again? Yeah. The point of all of this is not to blow my own horn. It's simply to show how quickly the body can change. And my mentor, Ed Stiles, always talked about there's a glitch in the software. And once you change that, everything just goes back to health. Hmm that should be expected in in our medical model that is not expected no and because you're not taught that like i was looking up different things trying to figure it out and seeing all this like recovery time of six weeks out of running and you need six months of this and i'm like that's 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 garbage i'm not accepting this i'm gonna call up dana but uh but still i i think because we're told that then you go into it the first twinge you feel you then believe it and you start to believe, okay, this is a twinge that I'm going to have to carry around for six months. So then you many, do. Many, many years ago, I was in my 20s and I started in psychotherapy and I had a lot of back pain. I remember thinking, because I, I was going back and forth with this shrink and she was saying to me, well, if Dr. So-and-so says there's nothing wrong with you, there's nothing wrong with you. And I thought that was BS. And I didn't believe I had to have pain because... I wasn't born in pain. It's like I didn't have pain this day. And then this day I did like, wait a minute, there's got to be a way to get back there. And that's just fed me and all my learning over this time, over these many, many years. So that belief that I don't have to have pain has driven me to find ways that I don't have pain so Hmm. I can get rid of the pain. Right. And, And driven my skill level. That's yeah. Which that right there demonstrates the power of belief that sure, there are beliefs that push us to, I guess, quote unquote, negative pathways, but also the power of having a belief that can drive you forward and create healing in your body and create seeing differently and end up creating this entire model for yourself, which then helped you in your patients and now the podcast listeners. I have a question for you. Okay. If you could inspire a movement in the world, what would it be? It's a really tall order because I have skills that most people on the planet don't have. However, it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be seen as a possibility. Mm. You know, it may not happen in my lifetime. That's part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is to leave this information to, to educate people on what is possible. So the movement that I would want started would be A, understanding the term power, which just means to be able. So in your case, you were not able to function in a running manner that you wanted to. So you were powerless in that arena. And B, for you, Rebecca, you didn't imagine that it could change within a short period of time because you'd had it for a while and, and our culture doesn't look at it and view things as that sort of quickly resolvable. Mm-hmm. And C, I would like people to just imagine that that is a possibility. 
that the culture and the medical model doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all. And it doesn't necessarily, depending on the dysfunction, it doesn't necessarily take a lot to change things. It does take being open and being willing to risk. I mean, you risked by coming to me and getting treated. Sure. So the movement I would want is toward health, that we all deserve to be healthy. Hmm. That's, a, to me, a human right. Hmm. And that is a, a movement <laughs> that would be too, because that's, that's something that I don't think a lot of us know, that we don't consciously step into that knowledge that we deserve health. In general, I'm, I'm not going to get specific with this, but we're in general born healthy. However, if, if you look at our culture these days and this time, there are so many people who are not healthy. And some of that is that we have bought into belief systems about farming and food and nourishment and all of that. So this is really a, a culture-wide dysfunction sure. that we've bought into, but it has to start to change somewhere. Yeah. I fundamentally believe, and that's why I've created this model, that this is a place to start. Yeah. Seeing things as language, responding to it that way, asking questions, having an understanding that, for instance, your body is talking to you. It's just understanding what it's trying to say that is so vital. Yes. And Dina, I just want to say, like, for any listeners out there, like, you live and breathe this model. Like, this is, you are far from the person who just, you know, does not practice what they preach. Like, you, this is your life yes it is <laughs> is is your well, life I've always said if you're going to preach it you better live it mm. and so i'm preaching it but i'm living it and i don't ever ask anybody to experience anything that i haven't already experienced so it gives me a basis and it started many years ago with something as simple as orthotics when i first got orthotics after graduate school so this is the early 80s once I understand the biomechanics of what they did and was working with kids with cerebral palsy and instituting them getting orthotics, and then it just it started on a purely physical level, and then it went more to a psychic level. And as the science came out about fascia, and as I did more reading on archetypal psychology and all of that, I just sort of integrated everything with the goal of becoming healthy or staying healthy for anybody. So I don't ask anybody to do anything or feel anything I haven't already felt. Right. So I try to keep ahead of the curve as best I can. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think that's just so important to recognize because if, you know, it's it's so easy. Sometimes when you listen to these things or you read these books, it's easy to think like, oh, well, you know, she had it easy or she or this person maybe grew up in a different way that I did, or maybe they're just not doing the things as much. And so it's going to be harder for me. And I just want listeners to know that it is like you are such a tremendous teacher because this is your life. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, take a moment to subscribe to our show on Substack. There, you can have an opportunity to comment on this episode. And we would love to hear from you. Dana will personally respond to you. And she'd love to hear your biggest takeaway from this episode. If you have questions, if you want to discuss, we would just love that. So be sure to subscribe on Substack. It's free. It's a wonderful way to connect. And it's the best way to support this show. I would like to say that I'm thankful for you tuning in and I would love to hear feedback. If you could email me at transformationaltherapeutics at gmail.com 
and give me feedback on the podcast, perhaps suggest subjects that you would like me to cover in the future. And when I receive that feedback, I'd love to highlight and publicly thank whoever has sent it to me. I really enjoy sharing this with you. 